Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Always a joy to be together on the Sabbath. Thank you to my brothers for rearranging the schedule these last couple of weeks. John Milton was a 17th century British poet, blind as a matter of fact, when most of his epic poems were written. Wrote the following. We won't read it all. Paradise Lost is a extremely long epic poem. We're just going to read part of the last, the ending of this poem written by John Milton in the 1660s. He ended, and they both descend the hill. Descended, Adam to the bower, where Eve lay sleeping, ran before, but found her waked. And thus with words, not sad, she him received. Whence thou returnst, and whither whence I know. For God is also in sleep, and dreams advise. When, which he hath sent propitious, some great good, presaging, since with sorrow and heart's distress, wearied I fell asleep, but now lead on. In me is no delay. With thee to go is, is to stay here. Without thee here to stay is to go hence unwilling. Thou to me art all things under heaven, all places thou, who for my willful crime art banished hence. This further consolation yet secure I carry hence. Though all by me is lost, such savor I unworthy am vouchsafed. By me the promised seed shall all restore. So spake our mother Eve, and Adam heard, well pleased, but answered not. For now, too nigh, the archangel stood, and from the other hill to their fixed station, all in bright array, the cherubim descended. On the ground, gliding meritorious, as evening mist, risen from a river or the marish glides, and gathers ground fast at the laborer's heel, homeward returning, high in front advanced, the brandished sword of God before them blazed, fierce as a comet, with which torrid heat and vapor as the Libyan air adjust, began to parch that temperate clime, whereat in either hand the hastening angel caught our lingering parents and to the eastern gate led them direct, and down the cliff as fast to the subjected plain. Then disappeared, they looking back, all the eastern side beheld of paradise. So late their happy seat, waved over by that flaming brand, the gate with dreadful faces thronged and fiery arms. Some natural tears they dropped, but wiped them soon. The world was all before them, where to choose their place of rest, and providence their guide. They hand in hand with wandering steps and slow through Eden took their solitary way. This was the ending to John Milton's telling of the fall of man. He titled that Paradise Lost. Today, we'd like to finish our study into the behind the scenes look at the building of the temple. Too often, 
when studying the building of the temple with all of its fine details, we get caught up in the minutiae. And great as it is, it, it, is, it, is a, it was a beautiful temple. The, the details are there for us. It was a copy of, of the temple in heaven. But as we bring this study to a close, what I'd like for us to see is this was really just a part of God's progressive plan to offer mercy and forgiveness to his creation. By offering to come and to dwell with us temporarily, we have an opportunity to dwell with him forever. This story of the building of the temple really is about the journey from Eden to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the throne of David. How we lost our way, but are finding it back again. So let's jump in here and and tie the building of the temple in to the story that we find throughout the pages of our scriptures. Let's go back to Genesis 1. Back to Genesis 1. And we keep talking about this narrative, this story. We're going to see that again today through this temple. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Verse 24. Genesis 1. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And after God created all of these things according to their own kind, he saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What he just told us, Previously, all those things that he created according to their kind, he put under man's subjection. Let them have authority over that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created, created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves along the earth. Dropping down to verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So he creates man, he creates all these living things after their kind, and then creates man after his kind, and comes to the end of this creation and says, this was very, very good. And we see here at the beginning of the story that we were created for a very special purpose. Everything else was created for after their kind. There was no human kind. We are created after the God kind. Genesis 2, moving along, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Why? Because we were made to be in relationship. We were made not to be alone. We were made to be in relationship. 
Genesis 3. We know as time passed, we know the story. The serpent, our adversary, came down and tempted Eve and Adam, forcing God to banish them, as we read, from Paradise Lost. Verse 22 of chapter 3, the story continues. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. He made Eden for us, and now he was forced to banish, close it down, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And from here came the need for redemption. If what God initially said, where he was going to make man after, in his image and after his likeness, and give him dominion, if that was going to be in effect, we now need to get over this hurdle where now we're out of paradise. We're out of Eden. We can't come back. So much so, angels are going to protect it. Flaming swords will not allow us back in. There is a need for redemption. There is a need for redemption. The story begins here from Eden. There now is no more Eden. And the story begins from Eden. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. Scriptures that you certainly are very familiar with. The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He notes to a specific man that there is a land of promise that he will give to him and his family through whom all mankind will have an opportunity to be blessed. Genesis 22. Yes, Genesis 32. My apologies, Genesis 32. I'll take a moment let you get there. Verse 22. Speaking of Abram's grandson, Jacob, we talked about, we heard that covered in good detail in the youth study today. And he arose that night and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. 
And when he saw that, he, he did not prevail against, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with it. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but you shall be called Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked and said, tell me your name, I pray. You know my name. If we're going to be in relationship here, you tell me your name. Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him from there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The beginning of God's personal relationship with Israel began one-on-one in one night with a man named Jacob. Now God begins this personal relationship with Israel. And Jacob understood, I have seen God face to face. God has dwelt with me this night. God came here and dwelt with me this night. And my life has been preserved. We're starting to see hints about what this is really all about. What, God, what happens when God dwells with man? Life is preserved. Life is preserved. Fast forwarding through the story, Genesis 49. Jacob's sons are listed. And to Judah in verse 8, his fourthborn, fourthborn, he writes, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the, on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, Who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Until Shiloh comes. And to him, to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Through Judah there will come the scepter. It will be Shiloh. Shiloh, the Hebrew word means the one to whom it belongs. The one to whom it belongs. And we're starting to see this thread that we've been talking about. From Eden. From Eden to Abraham. Through Abraham's family to Judah. From Eden to the tabernacle. Let's go to Exodus 3. Let's go to Exodus 3. God created the Garden of Eden for us to dwell with him. Our decision caused him to banish us from his presence. And now he has done nothing but try to bring us back into his presence. Exodus 3, verse 4. So when the Lord saw, this is 
is, of course, the famous account of Moses seeing that burning bush when he was tending to his father-in-law's flock. Moses went up to inspect it. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, verse 4, the God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. You are in my presence, says Yahweh. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, Yahweh said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I'm looking down, and I see what's going on with my people. So I, I have come down to deliver them. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God has come to dwell again on earth. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land, the land, to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's not their land, but they occupy it now. But it was the land I promised your father, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I have come down amongst you, and I see the oppression that my people are under. And I want to return them to that land that I promised your fathers. And Yahweh, again, begins to dwell with Israel. Exodus 13. Then it came to pass in verse 17, Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Notice God's continual presence with his people. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God, present here, led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. You can refer back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 24, where Joseph made them promise when they left to take his bones. For them to know, Egypt, the Egyptians might have oppressed them, but they kept passing these stories down. They knew when it was time to leave, we take Joseph's bones. We need to go back to our land. This was something they knew. This was, this was their land, their God. They knew this inside. And when it was time, it was time to go. So they took their journey, verse 20, from Sukkot and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. 
And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day at night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God will surely visit you, Joseph said. God will surely visit you, he said. You can check it out, Genesis 50, verse 24. A promise hundreds of years before, and it was never forgotten. And when God visits you, what God told them then is, I will stay with you in the form of a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and I will be there with you in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and I will not leave you. Exodus 33. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He keeps going back to that, reminding them why, why, this, why they're doing this. As I promised your father, I would do this. To your descendants, I will give it. And I will, send, I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. That's not their land. I promised it to you. The time is now, and I will drive them out. Go up to that land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. God, in his full presence, would just consume us. God knows in his, in his purity, in his pure, in his pure form, he would just consume us in our current condition. But Moses, verse 7, took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Moses takes his tent, takes it outside the camp, and sets it up, his personal tent. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at, the, at his tent door and watched as Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. There was something about this tent. There was something that happened to Israel when Moses went into this tent to be with God. And everyone, everyone would come out of their tent and would watch what would happen. And it came to pass... When Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. When Moses went into this this tent, God would come, and that pillar of cloud that he promised would never leave them would descend and be in front and guard that door. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. The God of Israel is amongst us. We must worship. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Again, his present here, face to face with Moses, as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. 
Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Show me your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. God's presence, dwelling with man, dwelling with his people, brings grace and brings peace, is what we see start to happen. And he he continues, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence brings you grace, it brings you peace, and it brings you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? How will anybody know that we have found grace unless you're with us? If you're not with us, how will we know? We're starting to see this impact of this relationship, the fact that God's presence means something. It means something. Brother Jan, in his sermonette, talked about how prayer invites God's presence into our life. This whole relationship thing that we talk about of being in relationship with God requires his presence. Requires his presence. Notice how Moses took his tent and used it as a place for God to come and to speak with him in the presence of his people. There was starting to be some sort of worship system form here. Moses uses his tent. Let's go to Exodus 40. To a more permanent place to dwell. No longer is it Moses' tent, but it, it is a, it's still nomadic. It's still a tabernacle that can be, when the cloud moves, when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire starts to move, Israel knew, let's start packing things up and let's move and we'll continue to walk until the pillars stop. And when the pillars stop, that's where the tabernacle is set up and then everyone else is set up around the tabernacle. But it is a more permanent site. No longer nomadic relationship with, with no place like Abraham and Melchizedek or Abraham speaking with God became Moses' tent. And now from Moses' tent, we turn into this a little bit more of a permanent place called the tabernacle. And we see this here in Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. You can take time to read chapters 35 through 39 and read the detail that went into the building of this tabernacle. The cloud covered, this same cloud that would never leave them, covered the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Yahweh was again present in this tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey until the day it was taken up. So again, Moses didn't lead them. God led them because he was present with them. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now we see a more permanent place to dwell. This temporary building that would be used 
for the presence of God. Again, still nomadic, but rather than using Moses' makeshift tent, they decided to build a proper structure for God to dwell with them. He'll tell us how to build it, so that it represents the heavenly sanctuary, but we will build him a proper structure for our God. From Eden to tabernacle to temple, we spent the last two weeks going through the details of the building of the temple. We certainly don't have time to review them here, but let's remember a couple of things. David understood his place in the lineage from Abraham to Christ. He understood. And despite all of his human frailties, and we talked about the frailties of Jacob and Esau in the study today, God uses human beings. And despite all of David's human frailties, he spent his life defending God's people. He spent his life defending Israel and defending the throne on which he sat, knowing for whom he was defending it. He knew why and for whom he was preserving that throne. His son Solomon, whom he taught and instructed to build the temple, he also understood it at the time of its dedication. He understood the importance of his throne and the fact that they were building a more permanent structure. There was no need now. They were in Israel. They were in this land that God promised. The Jebusites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, they were gone. They now were in this land that God had promised the forefathers. We can now build not a nomadic structure that can be taken down, but a permanent structure where God can dwell with us. And we read Solomon's prayer of dedication last week, where we really understood this was about a place for God to dwell with them and offer them mercy and forgiveness. Let's build him a place. We have built you a place, Solomon prayed to God that when you come down and hear our repentant cries, hear us and forgive us. Hear us and offer us mercy. From Eden to tabernacle to temple. Let's see now what some of the prophets have to say. Let's go to Isaiah 16. Isaiah 16. Verse 1, send the lamb to the ruler of the land, from Selah to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. For it shall be as a wandering bird, it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Take counsel and execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. And in mercy, the throne will be established. And one will sit on it in truth. In the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice, and hastening righteousness. There is coming a time when the one 
Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs, will sit in the tabernacle of David. David had a temple. He didn't have a tabernacle. We're starting to see the connection here, that it was really a progressive structure for God to dwell with his people. The one to whom it belongs, Shiloh, this promised Shiloh, will sit on it in truth and will judge and will seek justice and will hasten or quicken righteousness. Let's see what Amos has to say. Starting to see the connection between the temple, the tabernacle, and the throne. Amos 9. Looking forward to the time when God's people, Israel, will be restored. Verse 11. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. God's going to rebuild the tabernacle? I will raise up the tabernacle which has fallen down and repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, and the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They also shall make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up. For the land I have, for the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Looking forward to a time when the real tabernacle, the real temple, will be restored. And the Messiah will sit on this throne and rule his people. All these visions that God is giving to his people through the messages of the prophets. Let's go to Zechariah 2. Verse 8, Zechariah 2 and verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. These are special people. These are special people. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. We continue to see this theme of God dwelling with his people. I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. All who accept this will become his people. And I will dwell in your midst. Repeated, I will dwell in your midst. Then, when I am dwelling in your midst, when I am there with you, 
you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You will know where I'm coming from. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. The prophets are starting to profess this truth that has, that has been part of the scriptures from Abraham's time. Despite all that has happened to Israel, despite all that they've done, all the bad decisions they made, all the times they turned their back on God to follow other gods, Yahweh still has a plan to dwell with his people in the land of promise. That's what he's always wanted. He built Eden to dwell with us. And it was very good. And we walked away. And he still wants to dwell with us and has spent our modern history trying to dwell with us. And he still wants to do that. Luke 1. If you've been tuning into either live or by Memorex, as they used to say, to the weekly studies, you'll know that we've been through the first few chapters of Luke. Luke 1, verse 26. Continuing with the story. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month he's referring to, if you read back, he notes that Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, was pregnant with child, John the Baptist. Six months later, we see here that Gabriel now comes for another reason, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Continuing all of these, these little descriptives are important that we don't overlook, that God was with her. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And who will this Jesus be? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This is some, this is some guy that you are going to be blessed to bring into this world. He will be the Son of the Most High. And he will sit on the throne of his father, David. They knew the scriptures. They knew what this was all about. They knew this was the Messiah. And he will reign from this throne forever over the house of Jacob. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will no more be the end of this Israelite kingdom. When this man, this being, sits on that throne and takes up his spot, there will be no end. Imagine hearing this. God is coming to dwell with man, and he will do so forever from the throne of their forefather, David. No longer will it be temporary structures. 
No longer will it be Moses' tent. No longer will it be the tabernacle. No longer will it be the temple, which, while more permanent, much like that house of sticks and the three little pigs, it got blown down too. This temple was, was destroyed. We know that. This will be permanent. This will be permanent. Verse 76, same chapter. John the Baptist's father, the priest Zacharias, preaches not about his son, but about this Messiah that everyone has been waiting for. All the way back in time throughout their scriptures, this promised Shiloh that they've been waiting for has been promised now. He's coming. And you, verse 76, you, child, will be called, talking about his son, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, to prep them for the message that they're about to receive, that they are going to receive remission of sins. All the way back to what Solomon talked about at the temple. When you hear our cries, hear us and forgive our sins. You will get complete remission of your sins through this individual. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Again, constant talk here about God visiting us, God being present with us, God dwelling amongst us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. To show us a different way. That we don't need to go the way of our forefathers. That if we want this, we want to be part of this kingdom which will last forever, we need to go in the way of peace. Acts chapter 1. The Messiah came. He preached these amazing things called out all of these oppressors to defend God's people. And then the unthinkable happened. He dies. This was the Messiah. And now he's dead. And not just any ordinary death, but the most excruciating one. And for no valid reason, for no valid reason, except to fulfill the promise to dwell with us and to offer us mercy and forgiveness. But he died, and there's confusion. This was the Messiah, but now he's raised up. He's now raised, and he's back in our presence. Verse 6 of Acts 1, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Surely now's the time. We've been hearing about this. Every generation has passed this on down through. And we've been hearing about this, and we thought it was you. And then we experienced your death. And now we're confused. Are you at this time going to restore Israel? It's got to be now. It has to be now. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But I will tell you this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive this Holy Spirit... Tell the world about it. Tell the world what you've witnessed. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. 
Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. He was gone again. He was with them. He died. He was with them again, and now he's gone again. Talk about confusion. Talk about, is he dwelling with us? Is he not dwelling with us? And when they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 2. Verse 29. There's confusion, and then Peter gets it. Peter understood. He came to a, a finally, he and the, the apostles finally understood what those three and a half years were all about, what the reading of all those scriptures was all about. They finally understood that there was a connection, that everything was connected. All those scriptures they studied, all the scriptures that Christ talked to them about, all of these teachings that he came and spent time with them, it finally started to click in and they got it. And they could tell the world about it. Suddenly, all these scriptures made sense. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. You were all there. We didn't get it. But we get it now, and it all makes sense. Everything is starting to connect. All these dots are starting to, to fill in. The picture is becoming clear. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Stay here now, and there will come a time when you will assume that throne. It's making sense, and I can tell everybody about it because I get it. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let all Israel know that everything that they've read points to this Jesus that they crucified and assure them that this is true. And when they, when they heard Peter, when they heard his conviction, they were cut to the heart and said, what do we do? And it's the same thing that went back into all of these structures. Repent and change your ways. Repent and change your ways. This is where it had all been leading up to, where Christ could dwell amongst us. Show us the way. Lead a perfect life. Become the Lamb of blood. 
in place of all those lambs that were brought into all of those various structures of the past to hear their prayers, hear our prayers, and to forgive. It has all been pointing up to this. The tabernacle, the temple, the crucifixion, to this point now after the fact where everybody finally gets it. This is what it's always been about. Repentance and forgiveness. He will be our priest that can offer us forgiveness and can offer us repentance and mercy. Daniel chapter 2. Not only will he be our high priest, not only will he be our high priest, he will be our king. The tabernacle of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the throne of God, all coming to a head in the personage of Jesus Christ. Daniel 2. Not only will he be our high priest, but in verse 44, in the days of these kings, Daniel 2, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Nothing new. We keep hearing about this this kingdom, and in a kingdom is the throne of the king, and it will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. Every kingdom that has tried to overthrow it, all those people in the past that, that assumed the land that God promised his people, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, all of those people, all of those people since, all of those empires we hear talked about, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians, the Medes, he'll crush them all. He'll crush them all. And it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. You can bank on this that our priest will be our king and he will rule forever from that throne. Revelation 5. Who will this be? Who will qualify for this? Who will qualify to assume this most important position? Verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loosen its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Not a one. Not a one. So I wept much. We have answers here, and there's not a a personage here that can crack this open. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, you can hear him from out back, Don't cry. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loosen its seals. 
And in verse 9, they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Worthy to sit on the throne, worthy to unlock all mysteries, and worthy to give us the opportunity to serve as kings and priests. We see the word reign. Let's not confuse that with modern understanding of what it means to reign. To serve as kings and priests. Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven in verse 1, and a new earth, brand new, brand new paradise. The first, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God forever. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on this throne, think of all that we've read and how far back this throne has gone. He who sat, who sat on this throne said, Behold, I make all things new. There is a new paradise. I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. They are certain and sure. You can count on them. And he said to me, It is is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, and he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I will dwell with them, and I will never, ever leave them, and they shall never leave me. It is done. The culmination of this beautiful story that started way back our king and our priest ruling forever from the throne of God. That throne of David that David fought and protected for. That he, that he instructed his son Solomon to clean up what was around him so they could build this temple. This temple that we talked about, as great as it was, was just a stepping stone. From Moses' tent to the tabernacle to the temple to this throne that will come down and, in, and we will be in this brand new paradise forever. It was just a stepping stone. It was just part of the plan. There is so much more to talk about. As I was going through this and preparing this, there are more notes that I have that we haven't, don't even have time to talk about. And I started to think, was this four? Is this five? And then I started to think, that's really the point. This is unending. 
We can talk about this forever. It is unending. This story is so important, so all-consuming, that we really could go on and on and on and on and talk about its various, various nuances. There is so much to learn. There is so much to absorb, so much to help solidify our beliefs that this story is unending because eventually it will be unending. It will never end. What more could we talk about? The Greek words, and we won't go into any of this, we're just throwing this out. Maybe we'll talk about it afterwards. Maybe we'll talk about it in some other messages. It was pointed out to me in some discussions last week. There are two Greek words for temple, naos and Huron. One means the greater structure where everybody kind of gets to go to. Another word for temple, and it's important that we sometimes dig into these words, means the holy of holies. Because that's where God was present. That's where God was present. And when you study stuff about the temple, find out which one we're talking about. Because it makes a difference. Is it just the big building where, where God is? Because that gets destroyed. We've saw it. We have the temple, the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, it all gets destroyed. But the Holy of Holies is forever. It will always be there. It's important to know whether what you're studying is the Huron or the Naos. Christ is both king and priest. We talked a little bit about it. There is so much more to see in there. That Christ fulfills the office of king and he fulfills the office of priest. A much more deeper discussion than we could get into today. How about this? Consider those who have preceded the divine manifestations. There have been various divine manifestations. Abraham with Christ and with Melchizedek was the most faithful. I'm just throwing this out there. Moses, with the tabernacle, was the meekest. Is called the meekest. So we have the most faithful and we have the meekest. Solomon, the wisest. And John the Baptist, the greatest human born of a woman besides Christ. Food for thought, interesting. So much more we could talk about. And it really is unending. Five years after John Milton penned Paradise Lost, he penned a follow-up epic poem. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned, I can't remember if I mentioned, he was blind when he wrote this. So this was all in his head that he relayed to some people who could help him. He penned the following, and it is called Paradise Regained. Paradise Regained. And that poem concludes like this. The true image of the Father, whether throned in the bosom of bliss and light of light, conceiving or remote from heaven, enshrined in fleshly tabernacle and human form, wandering the wilderness, whatever place, habit or state or motion still expressing, the Son of God, with godlike force endued against the attempter of thy Father's throne and thief of paradise, him long of old thou didst rebel, and down from heaven cast with all his army. Now thou hast avenged and supplanted Adam, and by vanquishing temptation hast regained lost paradise. And frustrated the conquest fraudulent, he nevermore henceforth will dare set foot in paradise to tempt. His snares are broke. For, though that seed of earthly bliss be failed, a fairer paradise is founded now. For Adam and his chosen sons, whom thou, a savior, art come down to reinstall, where they shall dwell secure when time shall be, of tempter and temptation without fear. But thou, infernal spirit, infernal serpent, 
shalt not long rule in the clouds. Like an autumnal star or lightning, thou shalt fall from heaven, trod under his feet. For proof, ere this thou feelst thy wound, yet not thy last and deadliest wound. By, thy, by this repulse received, and holdst in hell no triumph. In all her gates, a bad and ruse. Thy bold attempt, hereafter, learn with awe to dread the Son of God. He, all unarmed, shall chase thee with the terror of his voice. From thy demonic holds possession foul, thee and thy legions, yelling they shall fly, and beg to them in a herd of swine, lest he command them down into the deep. Bound into torment, he sent before their time. Hail, Son of the Most High, heir of both worlds, queller of Satan. On thy glorious work now enter and begin to save mankind. Thus they, the Son of God, our Savior meek, sung victor and from heavenly feast refreshed, brought on his way with joy. He unobserved, home to his mother's house, private returned. Paradise lost and paradise regained. With all due respect to these magnificently detailed epic poems by John Milton, you hold in your hands the most epic story ever put to paper, the real story of paradise lost and paradise regained. From Eden to tabernacle to temple to throne, long live our king. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.